Well, thank you. Uh, my wife Becky and I are really enjoying uh, our time here in your community, and it's been great to uh, get to meet some of you today. Look forward to after this hour interacting with you a little bit and uh, to be able to hear what God's been doing here in this congregation, to be able to be here with you. It's, uh, it's been fun to be able to see uh, even a little bit over from the beginnings of the church being planted here and to see what God has been doing, not just among you, but in your lives individually. Because really it is about the gospel taking root in our hearts and the life change that comes because of what Jesus did in, in really transforming us as individuals that then impacts the relationships we have with our families, with our friends, our coworkers, and certainly here in the congregation when you're together. So it is, uh, it's delightful. You know, I was, I was mentioning to, uh, to Jeff Powell here just a moment ago, it's sort of that old pastor in me that loves listening to you talk. During this time, right before, before Ronnie got up, you were all interacting and, and laughing and connecting together, and I just sat back and I thought, that is the family of God in connection. And so it's, uh, you ministered to my heart already just by watching you love on each other and connect with each other. It's just a real joy. I want to pray for us first because I just, we need to ask God to speak to us because it's, it's His Word is the truth we need and His Spirit is the teacher that we need. So let's ask Him to, do, to speak to our hearts today. Father, I pray now that You would take these next moments we have and that You, by the incredible work of Your Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God being our teacher, the Word of God being the truth we need in our lives, we ask that you, that you would speak that truth deep to our souls. We, we don't just want to hear words today. We want your Spirit to speak to our hearts. We want that truth to go deep into our souls because it is not just about gathering more information we want to see the transforming work of the gospel take place in our hearts today. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you, to your word, to the teaching ministry of your spirit. Would you, by your spirit, blow among us here like the wind and speak to our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. You know, some days just don't turn out the way you'd planned. Isn't that true? Do you find that? There's some of those days, you know, they just do not turn out the way you planned. There, there was about, uh, this was about two months ago, uh, Becky and I were in Minneapolis where my office is, and uh, we, I had a meeting in my office in the morning on a Saturday with some key leaders of the EFCA. And uh, we got up, got up early that morning, and Becky was going to take me to my office because she had some errands she needed to run. And we have a little apartment in Minneapolis where we stay when we're there. And uh, we got up that morning, had breakfast, walked downstairs, went out into the parking lot of our apartment building, walked over to where our car, at least where I parked it the night before, and it was gone. I mean, it's, it's one of those, I walked up, I looked at her, I said, I'm sure I parked it here. And, and she said, well, I think you, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure you parked it there. And, and all the scenarios are running through my mind. Oh, my goodness, somebody stole my car. And then I thought, it is an old beater. No one would steal this car. I mean, they would not want this car. And then it hit me. We have a little parking tag. We have to hang on our rearview mirror for the parking lot in our apartment complex. I'd forgotten to hang it on the mirror. 
My car got towed out of a parking lot that I pay rent to live in the apartment. And I had a meeting in 20 minutes. I'm on my cell phone calling somebody. Could you come and pick me up? I got to get to this meeting. And you know when they tow your car, they don't tow it just down the block. They towed it from out in the suburbs in south of Minneapolis to downtown St. Paul. And we had to go get down there and get the stupid thing and then pay for it. And I'm going, I did not have that in my day when I got up that day. Does that happen to you sometimes? Your days don't turn out quite like you'd planned? I want you to turn your Bibles with me to uh, John chapter 13. Because in John chapter 13, we're going to find that The disciples, followers of Jesus. This was one of those confusing days that did not turn out like they had planned. I'm sure they got up this morning, that morning. That was the morning that they were going to gather together to celebrate Passover with the Savior. That's, That's the day that they were going to be with their master, with their teacher, and celebrate this high, holy day in the Jewish faith. Anticipation, excitement of what was going to come. He'd been teaching and going in and out of the city for the last several days. People were excited that Jesus was there. And this was the day they were going to celebrate together in an upper room. But on the way to that upper room, if you read some of the other gospel accounts, what you'll find is on the way to the upper room, the disciples were doing the thing, what's sort of their favorite pastime, which was arguing among themselves which one of them was the greatest. So they're on their way there. They're in this conflict. You ever had that happen on your way to church? You know, you're on your way to church and there's this argument between parents and children or husbands and wives and you're going, it just sort of spoils the day. Well, they're on their way. They're arguing which one of them is the greatest. And then, and then if you read in John chapter 13, starting in verse 1, follow along as I read for you. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you're clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. And truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Now we're going to stop there. The text goes on and the story goes on. But let me set the stage for you. The disciples have been arguing among themselves which one of them is the greatest. They're on their way to this room. They're going in the upper room. They're going to celebrate Passover together. They walk into the room and as they get there, there is one thing conspicuously absent in the room. And that's a servant. Someone who would be there to wash their feet. They were coming off the, the dusty, dirty streets of, of Jerusalem. It would have been a hot day. And as they got up to the room, there in the corner was a basin and a pitcher of water and a towel, but no servant. Now you can imagine, after they'd been arguing about which one of them was the greatest, one of them was not going to stoop to do something that only a slave would do, which was to wash someone's feet. And so they decided to leave the water in the towel, the basin in the corner... And you can imagine the awkwardness in the room. They reclined at the table, the text tells us, and just so you get a sense of what it looked like, this was not a table like, we, like you have in the next room. This, this wasn't a table like the beautiful picture that you see of the Last Supper. That's really not what it looked like. Okay? They didn't sit at a table. They reclined at a table because in a Jewish setting like this, the table would be about 18 to 24 inches off the floor. It was a U-shaped table. The servants would come into the center of the U-shape to serve the food. They literally would lie on mats on their left side, propped up on their left elbow, and would reach out onto the table and grab food. In fact, if you look at the account throughout the gospel, you'll see even as they're debating about which one was going to, was going to be uh, would be the one to betray Jesus, it says that one of the disciples leaned against Jesus' chest. And you're going, if they're sitting at a table, that is really weird. <laughs> but if they're lying and reclining, it's real natural. He just sort of rolled over like this and asked Jesus the question. So they're, sit, they're lying and reclining like that. Now you have the picture. Guess where these dirty, stinky feet are? They're all pointing outward. So when Jesus took the basin and the towel that we read about in the text, he poured water into the basin, he put the towel around his waist, but before that, he did something that no self-respecting Jewish teacher and rabbi would ever do. He took off his outer garments. He humiliated himself in front of his disciples. He took off his outer garments, he humiliated himself in that sense, wrapped a towel around his waist, took the basin and the, and the pitcher of water, and he began one by one to wash their feet, which now you understand when they're reclining and their feet are out, it's a lot easier to do that. I mean, you have this idea if it's a normal table. This is really weird. He's like crawling under the table trying to wash their feet. And he's going one after the other washing their feet till he gets to Peter. And what does Peter say? Lord, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus looked at him and says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. You have nothing to do with me. And Peter says, all right then, not just my feet, I'll take a bath. I mean the whole deal. Just wash all of me. I want to be totally with you. You know, this is one of those times I wish I had the DVD of that. Wouldn't you like to see Jesus' face? I mean, I'm sure he had kind of this smile. It's like, here you go again, Peter. I mean, it's just over-the-top response. Jesus washes all of their feet, puts the towel in the basin in the corner, 
puts a garment back on, reclines back at the table, and then he says, you don't understand, but I just want you to understand what I'd really like you to do is to do what I've done as an example, serve one another. And then he goes on in the text. In fact, if you come back with me into John chapter 13 and starting in verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they're looking at one another. Who is it? Who is it? And one of them asked Jesus, who is it? And he said, it's the one whom I dip a morsel in the, in the, in the, in the, in the food and hand this little bread to him. Which would have been the sign of the greatest honor that the host of the meal could have done. And so Jesus does that. He gives it to Judas. And he looks at him and he says, what you're going to do, do quickly. And if you look back in the text with me, I want you to look at verse 30. Because he got up and he's going to leave. Judas is going to leave and the people, the other disciples think, well, he's going out to like buy something for the feast or give money to the poor. And then notice verse 30. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. The, the stark contrast, I love John's description. They're in the room. The light of the world. Jesus is in the room. And here Judas, the one who's going to betray him after Jesus gives him this morsel. It's like almost his, his last offer to say, I do love you. I do care for you. He gives him the morsel. He takes the food. He gets up from the table. He walks out and it's night. It's like the darkness of evil. Then the story goes on. In verse 31, Jesus says, And now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek Me, and just as I said to the Jews now, I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And Peter jumps up. Look at the next verse. Peter says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you follow afterwards. And Peter then says, hey, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will, will cr- uh, that the rooster will crow till you've denied me three times. So here during the dinner, Jesus has humiliated himself in the eyes of his followers by taking off this outer robe and acting like a slave and washing their feet. He's told them one of them is going to betray them. And the strange thing happens. Judas gets up and leaves the room. Then Jesus says to him, I just want you to know I'm going away and you can't come with me. Now can you imagine these guys had left everything. They had left their families. They would left their jobs. They would left their future. They had left everything to follow Jesus. And here he's looking at them and saying, oh, by the way, I'm leaving and you can't come along. And then just like a good parent... 
You know, parents, when you leave, if your children are old enough, they can kind of watch themselves. I remember when our, our daughter, our oldest, got old enough to sort of watch her brothers and Becky and I would leave for a little bit. We'd have the little speech with them, which is now be good when mom and dad are gone. It's like Jesus says, I'm leaving and you can't come with, you, with me. And oh, by the way, a new command I give you, love one another even as I have loved you. Everyone will know you love each other. So love one another, guys. You've been arguing and fighting and bickering. I'm going away. You love each other. Just the heart, like the heart of a parent for them. He loves them so much. In fact, the text tells us in the first verse of that chapter that Jesus would now show them the full extent of his love, which meant that he would die for them. And then Peter says, no, wait a minute, where in the world, where are you going and why can't I come along? You can't come along. I'll die for you, Jesus. Oh yeah, you'll die for me, Peter. Rooster will crow three times, you'll deny me. Folks, um, this isn't the way this day was supposed to work out in the minds of the disciples. I mean, I'm sure they had in their minds, this is going to be such an exciting time. Passover with the Master. He's going to teach us. We're going to celebrate this great Jewish holiday together and remember the Exodus and remember God's goodness and the Passover. And now they bicker about which is greatest. Jesus washes their feet. He says one of them is going to betray them. Judas just leaves. Jesus says he's leaving. They can't come along. Peter, you're going to deny me. And then we get to chapter 14. Just look with me at chapter 14 of John. Jesus starts chapter 14 in verse 1 by saying this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. You know, for most of my life, I, I, grew, I grew up in the church, and this was one of those really familiar passages of the Scripture. I mean, I grew up as a kid. I, I could have quoted this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. That's the old King James Version of it. That's what I memorized as a kid. You know, and I could quote that to you. What I didn't realize is that Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled, because his disciples' hearts were troubled. I mean, they'd just been through this horrific day. And, and he said, I'm going away and you can't come along. And, and Peter, you're going to deny me. And all of this stuff is swirling around them. Everything they thought they had laid their lives on the line for now seemed to be evaporating. And Jesus says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. It was a Wednesday in June of 1999. I was in my office. I was a pastor in California at that time. I was in my office, and my phone rang, and it was not the main line into my office. It was what Becky and I referred to as the back, the back door line. It was a number that only she knew. And I was in the middle of a meeting with some leaders from the church, and the phone rang, came in on that back door line, and we had this agreement that if it came through and I was in a meeting... And I just let it go to voicemail. If it was an urgent matter, she would call me back right away. And so the phone rang. It went through to voicemail. And I kept going through my meeting. And about 30 seconds later, the line rang again. And so I picked it up. And I could tell immediately something was wrong. She said, "Uh, Kevin, I just came from the doctor's office. And 
You know that, uh, that lump they, we found that was just below Brad's knee? The doctor took an x-ray of it, and then he came back with the x-ray in his hand, and, and, and Kevin, he looked like he'd seen a ghost. He was just white. And, and, and he asked Brad to leave the room and, and to go out in the waiting room, and he looked at me and he said, something's terribly wrong. There's something growing inside his bone. I don't know what it is. We have to send these off to a radiologist. We'll know in a couple of days. You see, Brad was our 12-year-old son who was our champion little league player who didn't, if anything, if there was a ball, he would play the game. And we didn't think much of it because he was complaining about his left knee. I mean, he's a 12-year-old kid. He was in the middle of his little league season. He played every position on the team. He'd been playing catcher recently. He was just getting all beat up. And he's the kind of guy he would dive and fall. And and in our backyard, his favorite thing for me to do is take a football and pass it to him so that he would have to dive to catch the ball. I mean, that's just that was him. He was always hurting something. We didn't think much of it till the day I saw this lump the size of half a robin's egg under his knee. Two days later, 11.05 in the morning, the phone rang in our home, and it was our doctor. Kevin, it's osteosarcoma. It's a very violent, very deadly form of bone cancer. Would you get Brad in here immediately? He can't walk on his leg. He might break the bone. We have to put him on crutches. And I'm thinking, he can't walk on it. The kid's been playing baseball five days a week for the last month. It moved us into 15 months of our lives that we would never want to relive, but where we saw the grace and the hand of God in ways that we would never forget. You see, it moved us into 22 rounds of chemotherapy at the Children's Hospital at Stanford University, 26 hospitalizations in a year, three major surgeries, including the amputation of his left leg at the knee. We only knew five other children that were being treated for this disease at this major medical center on the West Coast. Three of the five had reoccurrences and died within six months after they ended their chemo treatments. I went online that day and I started looking osteosarcoma up on the internet. And after 30 minutes, I had to shut the computer off because my heart was broken. My heart was deeply troubled. But I found out a truth that I want you to wrestle with me today about. And the truth is as clear when Jesus spoke the words in John 14, as it was for me in June of 1999, as it is for you today. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again to receive you so you can be with me. And Thomas, I love him. Partially because Thomas means twin. He was a twin. We have twin sons. We have twin grandsons. I love twins. And Thomas says, this great, he's a man. I love that. He is a man's man. He said, Lord, we have no clue where you're going, so how do we know the way? 
And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus stood there among his disciples and he said, my gospel is God's word to troubled hearts. Jesus is God's answer to troubled hearts. The gospel is the answer for troubled hearts. Ronnie, I love what you said when you introduced me. Because this congregation, like the EFCA that you're a part of, folks, we're a gospel movement from the very beginnings. I mean, the, the beginnings of, of the Evangelical Free Church of America, the EFCA, a bunch of Scandinavian immigrants that came here because they found Jesus in the midst of a revival in these Scandinavian countries. And they came with a dream in their heads for a better future and the gospel in their hearts. And wherever they went, they brought the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And the gospel. It's Jesus' answer for the trouble in our hearts. In fact, during those days when our son Brad was sick, and we saw the church be the church like I've never seen in my life. I mean, we have, we have four children. Praise God, they all love him. They're following him. One of them is a, is a church planner in San Francisco. And in fact, he stood in front of the, the congregation that was sending him. It was a church about this size that had been a church plant near UC Berkeley, and they were sending my son and his daughter and their then newborn little baby girl into San Francisco to church plant. And he stood in front of them that day as he preached. And he said, you know, one of the reasons I'm a pastor today is because when my twin brother was sick, we saw the church be the church in ways we'd never seen it before. We saw the grace of God, the mercy through the gospel demonstrated by people in our church I mean, there, there were things like, well, for example, almost right away when we found out that, that uh, our son was sick and we we're going to end up going to Stanford a lot, two men in our church called me on a Saturday morning. They said, we're coming right now. We're taking both your cars and we'll just take care of them. And I'm thinking, take care of them. What does that mean? Well, we're going to change spark plugs, brakes, oil. We're going to make sure these things run so that however long you have to go up there, you never have to think about a thing related to your cars. Every time Brad was in the hospital, which was 26 times in a year and a half, or about 15 months, people from the church brought food to us, way more than we could ever eat. Two women from our congregation ironed all of our clothes for a year, and no one knew it. They called Becky and they said, hey, could we stop Tuesday morning and pick up laundry? After you do the wash, we'll pick up all the ironing. We'll do the ironing. We'll bring them back Friday morning. We want to make sure that Kevin has pressed shirts for Sunday. I had a lady come up to me, and she, she was a kindergarten teacher, and she, she came up to me on a Sunday morning about halfway through this time after I preached, and she walked up to me, and she said, Hey, hey, hey Pastor Kevin, I'm wondering, it's summertime. I'm not teaching right now. Could, could I come and wash the windows of your house? And, and I looked at her, and I said, I said, Margaret, Thank you for offering. I mean, I, I just, you know, I really appreciate your, that you offered. But, but I'm more than able to wash my own windows. I mean, that's fine. 
And she, she looked at me. She got this. You've seen it, this kindergarten teacher look. I mean, it was that, is this master kindergarten teacher look. She looked at me kind of like, young man. You know, she didn't say that, but it's sort of that young man kind of look. And she looked at me and she said, I, I did not ask you if you had the ability to wash your own windows. I asked you if you would give me the privilege to serve you and your family in the name of Jesus by coming to wash your windows. And what do you say? Yes, ma'am. That's what you said. No, what was amazing, though, is that in the midst of that, what we saw was the outworking of the gospel lived out all over within our church. It was people that had been touched by the good news of the gospel that Jesus is the answer for troubled hearts. They knew our hearts were troubled, and they came in the name of Jesus to just minister to us. That's the message of the gospel. That when our hearts are troubled and our relationship with God is broken, that in Jesus and His work on the cross and His death, burial, and resurrection, we are made right with God as we trust Him because He carried the load and the penalty we should have carried on the cross. He carried it for us. And because our sin was placed on Him, the righteousness of God is ours. And God's people just live that out all over among us. And what we saw is what Jesus, Jesus speaks about later in John chapter 14. In the midst of all of this, we saw that God had given us the Holy Spirit as his gift to empower us to be able to even live in the midst of this. Because if you look at chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. Wow. It was that amazing ministry of the Spirit of God in our hearts And through the body of Christ that we just saw the truth of this transforming power of the gospel lived out among us. You know, I got got in the middle of this, honestly, the darkest time in my life, in Becky's life, during that time when our son Brad was sick. And, And it was during that time that I thought back, so what am I really hanging on to? And, and, and here I have to tell you, I studied at one of the finest evangelical seminaries in the world. I had some of the best professors. I read books. I wrote theology papers. I had went through my ordination process with the EFCA. I mean, I had all this heady theology that I could hang on to. Do you know what I hung on to in the depth of the most difficult time of despair in my life? Were the things I learned in Sunday school. Jesus loves me. He died for me. He's forgiven me. He's gone to prepare a place for me and He's coming back for me and He's given me His Holy Spirit to be able to live in the midst of this world. And I hung on to it like I was hanging on to a rock in the middle of a hurricane. That's what He offers to us. He offers to us this sense of hope in the midst of troubled times as we trust in the Lord Jesus and His work on the cross on our behalf. Forgiveness and new life as He takes us, though we are spiritually dead, and makes us alive in Christ. 
And he gives us the gift of his spirit to help us to live. And he gives us the gift of his people to walk the journey with us. And we keep our eyes on him. I was in the country of Ghana. I used to do work in Africa for a long time. I was in the country of Ghana in West Africa on Palm Sunday, riding in a car on my way to preach at a church plant, great little church plant. They met actually under this canopy thing um, on a Sunday, had benches and this tent they put up, and it was really a cool deal. And so I, I went to preach at this church right in the heart of voodoo country in West Africa. I mean, this, this is, you hear voodoo in Haiti? Voodoo came from West Africa. So this was like the heartbeat of voodoo. I'm meeting with this church plant. All the people in this church had been saved and delivered out of voodoo worship. I mean, it was the most incredible joy in worship I've ever seen in my life. I'm on my way there. I, my phone rings. I had this Africa phone. My phone rings. It's my friend Nupanga. Nupanga is the president of a French-speaking evangelical seminary in Central African Republic. Palm Sunday. Nupanga, how are you? Kevin, you have to pray for us. We're in the middle of a military coup in the city. And then I could hear in the background machine gun fire and hand grenades going off and mortars going off. And, and I said, Nupanga, how, how are you? What's happening? He said, I'm at the, I'm in the compound of the seminary. And people are, fl- are just flooding into this compound from all over the city. Most of them are, is, are Muslim peoples. They're followers of Islam. And they're pouring into the seminary. And because this is a safe place, we're here Pray that we know how to minister to them. Pray that God would keep me safe in the midst of this. And I said, Nupanga, how are you doing? And he's, he's an Old Testament scholar, and, and he loves First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. He's written commentaries on them. And at that point, I said, how are you doing? And he said, Kevin, it's, it's, like, it's like the king in Chronicles says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And his phone went dead. And, and I'm thinking... They just blew him up. I mean, they just blew up my friend. And, and, and for the rest of that day, I'm calling, 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 trying to get through, trying to get through. Finally, the next morning, I thought I'm going to try one more time. I called in. Nupanga answered the phone. He said, hi, Kevin, how are you? I said, Nupanga, you're killing me. How are you? I was afraid you were dead. He said, no, my cell phone battery ran out. I'm like... Thank you. Borrow a cell phone and call me back or something, you know. I tell you that story because here is one of the most godly, intelligent men I've ever met in my life in a crisis point in his life. What did he say? I'm not sure what to do, but I have my eye square on the Lord Jesus. Because he is God's answer to troubled hearts. He's given us his spirit to indwell us, to walk us through the difficult times of life. And he's given us his people to walk the journey with us. That's the gifts that he has for you today, my friends. Just as we saw God walk through those months with Becky and me. You know, I told you we have twin sons and twin grandsons. Here's the good news at the end of the story. Our son Brad not only survived his cancer... He's married, has twin sons of his own, and a new baby, a little baby girl. This cutest little little thing. And when I talked to him about his experience, what he has told me is he said, I saw the hand of God like I've never seen before. And it's fun today. He's the church that we served in California. They're looking for a new senior pastor. 
I've been gone there for a while. This is looking for a new senior pastor. Our son Brad's on the search committee looking for a new senior pastor for the church that he grew up in. That same church that loved us, that prayed for him, that walked beside him. That when he was on crutches with one leg and no hair, they just let him be Brad and they loved on him because they understood the gospel is Jesus' answer for troubled hearts and His Spirit is His gift to sustain us and His people are the ones we walk the journey with. That's the gift He gives to you. And my prayer today is that if you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, that today would be the day that you would say, my heart's just stirred up inside me. I want to trust Jesus today. I, I want His Holy Spirit to indwell me and empower me and help me. I, I want to be a part of this church family that would love me and walk this journey with me. That's what I want to be a part of. And if you don't know Jesus, would, would you embrace Him today? Because He hung on a cross and died for you. And He rose again for you. And friends, if you do know Him today, this may be the day you simply need to be reminded again that the gospel is Jesus' answer for your troubled heart. That He's given you His Holy Spirit to indwell you, empower you, to teach you. And He's given you this church family to walk the journey with you. And would you do it like my friend Nupanga? Even when I don't know what to do, my eyes are on you. Let me pray for you.